Uh, morning, everyone. My name's Matt. I'm a pastor here of Tri-City Church. And uh, please do be in prayer for day camp this week. Uh, it's always uh, a big and exciting week. Uh, we have a little over 100 kids that are going to be coming through these doors. I'm just going to move this here. And uh, we really are looking at this as just a great opportunity to uh, invite in those that are, don't usually walk into a church building, uh, to share the love of God with them, uh, the gospel with them. And so we're going to be doing that through a lot of fun ways. So uh, if you are praying, please pray for safety and just pray that there would be a fruitfulness uh, in the week. Um, this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 105. Uh, we are working our way through just a number of psalms this summer, and so if you have a Bible, now's a great time to open it to Psalm 105, and if ever you arrive here, you don't have a Bible, or you just don't own one, there are always some Bibles just on the tables as you enter, and we'd love for you to use that or even take it with you if you don't have one. So I'm going to begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the psalm that we have this morning. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for this time. Thank you, God, for the opportunity we have to come and hear from you through your word. I pray, God, that this would be a fruitful time. I pray, Lord, for each one of us, God, that you would uh, give us a, a soft heart and, Lord, open ears to hear what you are saying. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, use uh, the word of Scripture and, God, use even my words, Lord, though I am a sinner. I pray, Lord, that you would use them for our good. And we thank you, Jesus, that uh, you are here and that you are with us and that we can have a sure hope that you will continue to shape us through the Word of God. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's summer, obviously, and uh, that means that uh, most of us are probably either on our way on some holiday trip or coming back from it, which is uh, the great thing about summer. Uh, one of the uh, most uh, common holidays, I think here, maybe throughout North America, is the road trip. Most of us, at some point, have either gone on a road trip or going on a road trip here, we tend to go up into the interior or down the coast. If we have family and we have to, we'll, we'll drive back east, but we don't, we don't tend to want to do that, but uh, if need be, we will. Um, but road trips are, are kind of part of holiday life, and there are, there are generally, I think, two ways to take a road trip. Uh, there's a road trip for those who like to plan, and there's a road trip for, for those who don't. So for the planner, generally, the route is set. The hotels or campsites are booked, and we know where we're going and what we're doing each day, how many miles we have to cover. For the non-planner, we like to just get in the car and drive, just go wherever the road takes us. And there's not necessarily a wrong way to take a road trip, but it is sometimes a challenge if those two um, views of road tripping come together. For Don and I, this happened early on in our marriage as uh, we brought these two elements together for one of our first big road trips. Now, you might think that's because it was Don and I who had a difference of opinion about road trips, but in fact, this was an even uh, greater uh, potential challenge, and that's because we had the uh, strange, looking back, very strange, uh, absurd even idea to go on a road trip down the East Coast with both of our parents. <laughs> Why would we do that? We decided to fly to Montreal, drive down to New York, visit my aunt, drive up the coast to PEI and back with Don's parents and my parents all in one spacious Dodge Grand Caravan. Now, the reason that this was fraught with a difficulty is that if you know our dads, you know that they are on opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to planning. Uh, my dad arrived for the road trip with a three-ring binder, with all of the routes set up, with all of our stays. Uh, we had the itinerary, we had how many miles we were to travel, all color-coded, of course. Uh, Don's dad, I think, was reminded the day before that we were going on a road trip, and then uh, got himself organized. 
So whether this was, you know, had the potential for a disaster. In fact, it actually was one of the best road trips we'd ever been on because Don's dad loves to drive, great driver, and my dad loves to navigate. And so the two of them together made for a great travel experience. We sat in the back, we just relaxed, drank our coffee, and they would, they would drive. And, and part of the reason it worked was because Ron was able to focus on the road and he trusted that my dad had, you know, before phones, he had all the triptychs printed out. He knew where we were going. So there was a map, there was a plan, and they just had to communicate well together. It was, it was a great trip. Now, I mentioned this, uh, not just uh, to ridicule our parents, which is always sort of worth it in and of itself, but, but also just to, to make the comment that in life, we often experience this tension between knowing we want to go somewhere, but not quite being sure of how to get there. This happen, happens in all areas of our life. Sometimes it's, it's areas of career or relationship or, or just there's some sense that where we are now is not where we want to be and we know we need to go somewhere and sometimes we're not even sure where or maybe we're sure where we think we should go but we're not sure how to get there. And so we spend a lot of time, if we're, if we're a Christian, we spend a lot of time in prayer. We, we lay awake at night, whether we're a believer or not, trying to figure out, trying to connect the dots between where we are, especially if where we are is, is difficult, especially if we really have the sense that things need to change, but we look ahead and, and we're just not sure how that can happen. See, for those who don't believe in God, it's always going to be this way. There, there is no big plan. There is no one who is, who is helping to orchestrate things. It's just you and the circumstances of your life, and you're trying to make the best of it. For those who do know God, it's different. We believe that God is sovereign over all things, that he has a plan for our lives, and that he is responding to prayer, he is directing us. But the challenge is that, that we still can't see the map. See, the reason it works on a road trip with someone who's planning is they have a map. And for those of us who believe in God, we believe there is a map, but, but we can't see it. And so it's difficult to believe that there is a way forward, one that God is leading us on, and it's difficult to believe that if we're in a difficult time now, that this is even part of the plan. I mean, very often we, we think to ourselves, yes, I, I'm guessing that God has a plan, but is he, is he navigating? Is he leading me in a certain direction? Because I don't, I don't feel it. I feel kind of lost. Well, Psalm 105 addresses this challenge, not by focusing on the unknowns of the future, but by looking to the past and focusing on the track record of God's faithfulness. And the big idea for us this morning is that as we remember God's faithfulness in the past, we will have hope for the future. This psalm takes hundreds of years of the history of God's people and just squishes it down into one psalm. It looks at God's people, the history of God's people from the time of Abraham, where he called Abraham, to when they enter the promised land. And the idea is that the psalmist is saying, look back and see all the things that God has done so that we would be able to praise him, but also so that we would have hope for the future. So with that in mind, I'm going to read Psalm 105, the, the whole thing, all the way through, and I'd like for us to have our ears tuned uh, to the narrative, to the story of kind of God's people. It goes all the way from Abraham through Joseph, the story of Joseph and Moses and the Exodus, to when they enter the promised land, but also look for those, those indications that it is God who is navigating, God who is leading the whole way through. So here's Psalm 105. It begins this way, O oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works, 
glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute to Israel, as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When they were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters, his neck was put in a collar of iron, until what he had said had come to pass, and the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham, and the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed signs among them and miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark. They did not rebel against his words. He turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die. Their land swarmed with frogs, even in the chambers of the kings. He spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout their country. He gave them hail for rain and fiery lightning bolts through their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke and locusts came, young locusts without number, which devoured all the vegetation in their land and ate up the fruit of their ground. He struck down all the firstborn in their land, the firstfruits of all their strength. Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold. And there was none among his tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad that they had departed for dread of them had fallen upon it. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give them light by night. They asked, and he brought quail to give them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock and the water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river, for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing, and he gave them the lands of the nations, and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord indeed. That's a lot of history. It's a lot in there, and we're not obviously going to talk about all of it. But what I want us to focus on, what I think that the big idea here is in this psalm, is that there is a truth about who God is and how he relates to his people. And, and the truth is that God is at work in navigating and leading his people throughout the events of their life. And so we're going to look at this psalm in three parts, all having to do with this big idea of remembering what God has done. Number one, God has a good plan. Number two, God is always in control. And number three, God never fails. So we'll start with the first, God has a good plan. Uh, this, the psalm begins talking about the wondrous deeds of God. Uh, look in verse one there. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. 
call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. That's one of the big ideas that we see sort of throughout the psalm, that there are these wondrous works, these amazing things that God has done in the past, and because God has done them in the past, he will continue to do them in the future. But you'll notice that God's blessings, God's wondrous deeds, they are not haphazard. He's not a genie in the sky that's just kind of bestowing interesting blessings kind of when he feels like it. He has a, a clear and a focused plan. It's a plan that begins by choosing a people. If you look in verse 6, we see a reference to this. It says, O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. This is how God began in building a people for himself. He spoke to Abraham, called him out of the the land in Mesopotamia there, and he said, I'm going to make you into a nation. I've chosen a people. I'm going to grow from you a, a mighty nation. But he didn't just stop there. He chose a people, and then he promised them a land. Now, this was huge. This was, was key for these people. If you look in verses 8 to 11 again, he talks about a covenant, a promise that God made. It says, he remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. So this is something he repeated to all of the patriarchs, and the promise is found in verse 11. To you, I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. Now, land has always been a big deal for the people of the world, and especially for the people of this time. Land, good land, meant a place where they would be able to survive and even thrive. It meant a place of of being sustainable, where they could provide for their family and the the generations that would come after them. But more than that, it meant a, a place of identity and status and belonging. Land is still important to us today. Probably all of us in some way are hoping for a place to hang our hat, right? Maybe a place of our own, a condo, a townhouse, maybe acreage. It's not just that we want somewhere to live. We want, we want somewhere to belong. As I was thinking about this, this importance of, of the land, there was a, a story that came to mind, kind of a classic uh, American novel of Mice and Men uh, by John Steinbeck. You, you might know it. And in that novel, there are two uh, ranch hands, George and Lenny, George is kind of the, the brains of the operation, smaller guy. Lenny's a big brute of a man, but, but kind of slower mentally. And George takes care of him. They travel together. They, they work together. But they have this, uh, this story that they keep telling every night around the campfire. And it's a story about a land that they, they want to have, a farm that they hope to, to buy one day. And I want to read to you a portion of, of one of the times where this story is told. It goes like this. George's voice became deeper. He repeated his words rhythmically as though he had said them many times before. Guys like us, guys that work for ranches, are the loneliest guys in the world. They got no family. They don't belong no place. They come to a ranch and work up a stake, and then they go into town and blow their stake. And the first thing you know, they're pointing their tail in the other direction to another ranch. They ain't got nothing to look forward to. Lenny was delighted. That's it. That's it. But now tell how it is with us. Tell how it is with us, George. Well, George went on. Well, with us, it ain't like that. See, we got a future. We got somebody to talk to, somebody that cares about us. And someday we're going to get the jack together and we're going to have a little house and a couple of acres and a cow and some pigs and, and we're going to live off the fat of the land, Lenny shouted, and have rabbits in cages and tell about the rain in the winter and the stove, George, and, and about how the cream on the top of the milk is so thick. Tell about that, George. See, Lenny's excited. This is the thing that he just loves to hear about because 
His mind is cast forward to a time where they will have a place of their own, where they won't be wandering from ranch to ranch. This story, this, this hope that they have, is the thing that carries them through in life. It's a hope not just of a place where they could make a living, but a place where they can belong. And God's plan was like that for his people. That as he promised them a land, it was more than just that he would care for their physical needs. He would care for the deeper longings of their heart. That they would be part of a community. That he would be their God and they would be his people. And what we need to hear this morning is that that good plan existed then and it still exists now. Even though we've seen the the, the fulfillment of it in history, really that was a foreshadow of a greater plan. Of greater promises that God would have for his people. And we who call him the name of Jesus today, we who follow God, we have even greater promises of God that are laid out in the New Testament. Here's one of them, this this blanket, amazing promise that God speaks in Romans 8. It says there that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Just think of how all-encompassing that statement is. That for those who, who follow the leading of the Lord, who love God, All things, everything in your life will be worked out for your good. It's an astounding statement. It's a a continuation, I hope you see, from the promises of God in the past. That he he would be caring for his people. He would raise up a people and care for them. And that extends to this day. But the question, the question that we have, if you're here this morning and, and you are a follower of God. And you see these promises and you believe them. The question that often comes to mind is, if they're true, Why do I still struggle with disappointments in life? Why do we, as God's people, still have unfulfilled longings? Why does our life often look very much like the life of a person who doesn't believe in God? Who's just trying to make the connections on their own? Shouldn't there be a difference in terms of God's leading and planning and caring for his people if, if this is true, if he exists? Why do we find ourselves often thinking that there's a huge gap between the promises of God and their fulfillment in our life? I mean, God, you say you have a plan. We sometimes think to ourselves as we're in bed at night, but God, how is it working out? Are you even at work on it? Is there really a plan? Well, what we see in Scripture, what we see specifically in this psalm, is that God has always had a good plan for his people. But what we also see is our second point, that God is always in control. Even in those times where it seems like there is no plan, or if there is, like, like we're not going in the right direction, even there, God is in control. We see this specifically here in the life of Joseph, also in the time of the Exodus, but with Joseph, I mean, if you know Joseph, if ever there was a guy who could say there's a gap in my life between the promises of God and the fulfillment of it, it's Joseph. When he was young, everything was great. I mean, he was a little bit spoiled probably, but he was most loved by his dad. He had uh, the blessings of a big family, and he had had prophetic visions of what his life would be like in the future. He had two dreams specifically where God showed him that there would be a time where he was exalted, where he was in some position of power and others were bowing down around him. It would have been amazingly encouraging. He wasn't sure how it would happen, but man, that's what God has for me in the future. And yet there is a huge gap between that promise and the fulfillment of it. And that gap was filled with hardship and struggle and injustice. We see a reference to it in our our psalm through verses 16 to 18. It says, When he, that is God, summoned a famine on the land, 
and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters and his neck was put in a collar of iron. Now, if you know his story, there's actually two times where Joseph was, was probably in irons. The first was when his brothers, uh, out of jealousy, sold him into slavery and sent him down on a slave uh, train to Egypt. But there in Egypt, he, he was bought by Potiphar, sort of an Egyptian official, and things seemed to be going well. He was, he was doing his work in the household. He had a sense of freedom. But then he was unjustly accused by Potiphar's wife and put back into prison. And both times that he was in chains, it wasn't for a short amount of time. I mean, Joseph was, was in irons for, for years. So just think for a moment about a state of mind and a state of heart. About someone who had had a very clear vision of God's promise in his life. And then the circumstances of his life are, are nothing like what he pro- promised. In fact, Joseph probably would have had difficulty really remembering what God had promised him. And certainly had difficulty, as he looked to the future, trying to imagine how that would ever come to pass. I mean, he just hoped that he would survive. He didn't think that he would ever be exalted. And yet the key point in the biblical narrative, we see it in Genesis and we also see it in the psalm, is that even in those times of, of gap, where there's hardship, where there's difficulty, God is still in control. They are not a result of inattention, of neglect by God. They're, they're not purposeless. That in fact, God is active even in those very, very difficult times. There's a glimpse of it in verse 19 in our our psalm where it says, uh, he he was in irons until what he had said had come to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. So there we see some of what God was doing. Even though there was no movement, no forward movement, God was still at work. One of the things he was doing is that he was testing Joseph's heart. A process of strengthening his faith so that he would rely on God fully and truly. See, what we need to understand is that the story of God's people is a story filled with these kinds of gaps. Filled with these periods of time where where it seems like in our own lives like nothing is happening. And to help us see this, sometimes it's, what this psalm does is it it zooms back and it looks at a huge period of time, hundreds of years, and sees how God led his people. And I thought it'd be good for us to just visualize this, to to really understand the the gap, the the difference between what God promises and and how we get there. So this is a a map of of the land, of the area where all this story happens. Abraham begins over there uh, in what was Mesopotamia, in the land of Ur, in the blue circle. And the promised land is there in the green star, the land of Canaan. Now God says to Abraham right away, I'm going to call you out and lead you to a land. And so the first leg of the journey, Abraham would have thought, well, we're going there, right? They go up and around. These are the regular trade routes, and they find themselves in the land of Canaan. But as soon as he gets there, God says, you are not yet to take possession of the land. In fact, you're to wander around and live in tents for a time. And then, to make matters worse, there's a famine that drives them down into Egypt. And so they spend some time there until the famine passes. And then they're led back up into the promised land. And there, the, the people of God, they grow. That's where Joseph is born that time. There's a a big family, but again, there's a famine that comes. First, Joseph goes back down to Egypt, and then the rest of his people go as well. You need to go back, yeah, that back down, good. So now they're in Egypt, and they're there not just for a brief stay. They're there for hundreds of years. There, God's people grow and flourish. There's, There's hundreds of thousands of them, but the Egyptians get nervous, and so they put them into slavery. And just imagine what it would be like if your father and grandfather had been slaves and you were a slave. You hear stories 
about how God had promised a land for his people, and yet you look around and you think, how is this ever going to happen? Those promises would have seemed very dim. And the, the prospect for the future would have been bleak. And yet God was not done. God was still active. God brought Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, miraculously, through the Red Sea, and they headed up towards the promised land, but just as they were about to enter, they proved unfaithful. Even after all God had done, they didn't believe him, and so he sent them back down into the wilderness, into the Sinai Peninsula there. They wandered for 40 years, until finally, finally after wandering there, they went up. Yeah, that's the, they're wandering. I don't know if they went in a circle, but it felt like it probably. So finally, uh, dramatically, the yellow arrow indicates that they went into the promised land, finally. That was the, the fruition of it. But what I want us to see is there were a lot, of t- a lot of gap times there. A lot of times where God's people would have been wondering, what is going on? Nothing is happening. There's silence from God. We're not moving towards the promised land. In fact, we are literally walking away from it a number of times. God, is this really where you're leading us? The reason this is helpful for us to see is that, that this is not an anomaly. This is typical. The, the line between God's promise and God's fulfillment in our lives is very rarely a straight line. It's very often a line that looks like this, filled with twists and turns and in times where we feel stalled, times where we're wondering, God, what, what's next? And the temptation for, for us is to believe that, well, nothing is next, that, that God has abandoned us, that he's forgotten about us. There may be things in your life today that, that you've been praying for for years and, and that you've come to the place where you think, well, I, I guess just God is not going to answer this prayer. That this, this thing I'm hoping for is just is never going to happen. This promise that, that I see in Scripture that God is going to bring everything out for my good, I just I don't think it's ever going to come to fruition. Looking back on the history of God's people, is meant to encourage us, for those of us who follow him, because we see the pattern in which he works. We see that God was always in control at every moment, every leading, every direction, every turn, every time of waiting. God was always in control. And so remembering God's faithfulness from the past does give us hope for the future. And if you're wondering, you know, where exactly do we see this level of control? Maybe they were just wandering around. They didn't know where they were going. Maybe they just happened one day to finally enter the promised land. Well, if you look, if you look at one word that's repeated over and over again through our psalm, we see how God is in control. This word is a pronoun. It's the word he. We see that he, in reference to God, is repeated over 16 times throughout this narrative. Here are some of them. Uh, in the time of Jacob and then Joseph... It says, he allowed no one to oppress them, that's his people. He rebuked kings on their account. He had sent a man ahead of them, that's that's Joseph. And then we see in the story of the Exodus, he sent Moses, his servant. He sent darkness and made made the land dark. He turned their waters into blood. These are all the plagues, right? He sent frogs, he sent hail, he sent locusts, he struck down the firstborn. All of these were by the sovereign hand of God. And then finally, he brought the Israelites out with silver and gold. They plundered the Egyptians. And you even see it in the time of the wilderness wandering, that he spread a cloud for covering, put a pillar of fire by night. He he brought quail to feed them, and he opened the rock, and water gushed out. The whole way along, even in those times where the people of God would have been wondering where God is, God was at work. 
God is the one who is at work, who is active the whole way through. Everything was within his control. Even the, even the catastrophic things, even the things, I mean, the plagues themselves were, were grand and, and catastrophic, but even the famine that affected both the Egyptians and God's people, God was, that was by his hand. And the betrayal, the, the, the details of the story, as it says in the, in the narrative, it says God sent a man ahead, which was Joseph, but the sending happened through the actions of his brothers who betrayed him and sold him into slavery. The message is crystal clear. There's nothing outside of God's control. Nothing in our lives, nothing in the natural world, every single thing is within the sovereign hand of God and God is using all of them for his purposes. Even the, even the evil things that people intended, God uses them for good. This is the, the blessing of clarity that Joseph gets at the end of his life. In Genesis 50, 20, where he's looking back on his life, his brothers have come and they're apologizing and he says these famous lines, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Meaning that maybe for the first time, Joseph was able to see all of that. God was at work the whole time. I didn't see it in the moment, but I see it now because I'm able to look back and I'm able to see how God has been faithful to me. So here's my question for you. If you were writing the story of your life, how many sentences would begin with I and how many sentences would begin with he? It's natural for us to to tend to look back and to focus on all the things that, that we've done, to think that our story centers around us and our activity, our, our measure of control over our life. But when we have clarity about the sovereign hand of God in every aspect of our life, the key about it is that then when we look to the future, that same sovereign control will be there. Because that's always the challenge for us. As we're looking to the future and we're seeing all these things, these insurmountable obstacles, the, the, the directions we want to go, the areas that we, we hope to be able to, to grow in, all of that, if, if we are the center of our story, then it's all on our shoulders. I have to figure out the best school for myself, the, the, thing that's, the career that's going to lead to my greatest joy. I have to figure out the perfect spouse. I have to, to deal with the loneliness if I don't find a spouse. I'm the one who has to deal with the, the brokenness of my heart the struggles of depression, the whatever thing that I want to, it's all on me. And it's crushing. We end up having to bring joy into our own lives and the truth of the matter is that we, we can't do it, not forever. But when God is at the center, when we are clear on his sovereign hand, that, then those greater weights, they, they're on his shoulders. Now let me be clear, we, we do still live our lives. We're not robots, we're not puppets. We have responsibility, we have agency, we make, we make choices. There's this, there's this beautiful mingling, though, of the sovereign control of God and the way that he leads us to take action. And when we are clear on his ultimate role of control, then we can do that with a real sense of peace and joy and purpose. God does have a good plan for us, and he is in control of every single thing. And the third thing, the capstone to this, is that God never fails. That's our third point. See, the climax of this psalm comes right uh, at the end, uh, starting in verse 42. It says, For he remembered his holy promise, and Abraham his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing, and he gave them the lands of the nations, and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil. So finally, 
After many years, many twists and turns and waiting and all the things that happened, finally God's people enter the promised land. And the key to opening that door of a fulfilled promise was that God remembered. God remembered his promise. God remembered Abraham. God didn't forget. God didn't get tired. God didn't come up short. God didn't drop the ball. He didn't get overwhelmed. He didn't go over budget. All the ways that we fail in life, none of that happened for God because he was absolutely in control and he was absolutely all-powerful. And so he brought everything to the perfect conclusion in the way that he planned. God never failed his people. He never failed his promise. And, and that means that he will never fail us. It has to mean that. If that is who God is and his promises are true for us, then the same will be true for us in the future. So the unknown then in our lives, if you think of your life like an equation, there's a whole bunch of stuff on this side and you're hoping that it will equal your joy, your hope, your, your peace and satisfaction. Often in an equation, you're solving for the unknown. What this psalm reminds us is that the unknown is never God. God is certain. God's faithfulness is certain. The unknown in the equation of our life is us, is whether we will be faithful is whether we will be able to continue to trust him as we look ahead at all the twists and turns that are coming up and to believe that he is in fact leading us. That's always the challenge. And we see it even in the, there's this moment where God's people are about to enter the promised land and Moses is speaking to them and he talks to them about the importance of remembering this, remembering the faithfulness of God. Here is Deuteronomy 6. Now Moses isn't actually gonna get to go into the land, but he's preparing his people. And it says this in verses 10 to 12. He says to them, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, so when everything you've hoped for happens, verse 12, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. See, Moses is worried that as God's people then go into the promised land, that they will, they will rejoice, they'll be glad, but they'll totally forget how they got there. And that they'll be overwhelmed by something else in life and they'll forget to hope in God. Doesn't, doesn't that happen to us? Where there's been so much that God has done, and yet we, we get there and then we totally forget all the amazing things that God has done for us in the past, and we look to the future and we're overwhelmed, we're anxious, we don't know how it's going to happen. We can't do it, we're, we're crushed. Moses said, lest, he said, lest you forget. The phrase that we often use is, lest we forget. And we use that at a very specific time in, in the calendar of the year. We, we use it at Remembrance Day. And the whole point of that day is that we as a nation will remember will remember all of, all of the, the sacrifice that has been in the past to bring us freedom through all of the armed conflict, all of the wars. And we say that lest we forget because, because we, we don't want to be a people that forget. If we forget all the men and women who have given their lives in active service for us, then for one thing, we will dishonor them. But also, there's a greater likelihood that we will go into war more quickly or foolishly in the future because we forget the sacrifice that was involved. We don't want to forget that. We want to remember. It's Remembrance Day for a reason. 
But see, the dangers of forgetting God's faithfulness are even more serious, even more dire. Because forgetting God's faithfulness always leads to a shipwrecked faith. Our big idea this morning is that remembering God's faithfulness in the past will give us hope for the future, but the inverse is also true. Forgetting God's faithfulness in the past will rob us of hope for the future. We will be in so many situations in our life where we will be, we will be broken, we will be distraught, we will be in despair because we will, we will forget that God is in fact active in our life. It will seem that he is far off and we'll believe it. And look, I, I know that, I mean, we know that life is, is not easy. We know that, that when we talk about this leading of God and this, this promise and blessing of God, we know that, that those twists and turns, they're really hard. They bring us to our knees because of the hurt and the pain that's involved. And sometimes as we look to the future, we just, we don't see any way forward. But what if, what if just for a minute we, we stopped looking to the future? What if for a moment we, we stopped looking even in our present? We stopped calculating and, and trying to figure things out and, and we just looked back and we remembered all that God has already done for us, how faithful he's been, not just in the lives of the Israelites, but in the, in the lives of all of humanity because God did fulfill his promise to them but, but that promise of land was just a foreshadow of greater promises, greater hopes, uh, prophecies and, and promises that he spoke to God's people back then that one day there would be someone who would come that would, that would open the doorway to a heavenly kingdom. Not just a good earthly land, but, but a great, a perfect heavenly kingdom. And that that one who would come was the Messiah, God himself. And that 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 Messiah would, would find a way to deal with the greatest challenge, the greatest problem for all of humanity, which is our own sin. And that because of his coming, this is, this is the great thing about living in the time that we do, we can look back even on that and say, yes, it happened. God sent Jesus, God in human form, come to live the life that we, we strive to live but never can. And then going to death on the cross to pay for all the things that, that we deserve to, to receive the consequences of. And yet being raised to new life, showing us that he has conquered Satan, sin, and death and giving us a hope that goes beyond this life. That fulfilled promise is the thing that is designed to, to encourage us, not because it just gives us a hope of sometime in the future where we'll be in heaven, but because the promise is that right now God is at work in us, that he sent his spirit to, to minister to us, to comfort us, to lead us, and that we have every hope as we look to the future it will be to good ends, both in this life and in the life to come. But see, the truth is that not everyone has that, that kind of lasting hope. One of the reasons I think that that, that story I mentioned of mice and men has endured is, is in part just because it's, it's so well written, but, but because it, it really communicates some of the, the heart-wrenching truths about what it means to be a human being. Because for George and Lenny, they had the hope of that farm and it carried them through, but there's a point in the story where, where George realizes that it, it's never going to happen. And that when he tells Lenny the story about the farm and the rabbits, it's just a story he's telling. But it's not a real place that they're going. Because the realities of life have unraveled their dreams. And their hope, that the bottom of, of their hope is emptying out. 
And we know what that feels like because that's happened to us. Because any time that we've, we've really set our hopes in the things of this world and the people of this world, we're always disappointed. In the end, we are disappointed. But what this psalm tells us, what the narrative of Scripture tells us, is that it doesn't have to be that way. As human beings, it doesn't have to be the case that we are always disappointed. It just depends on where our hope lies. And the truth of Scripture is that if God has a good plan, and if God is in control and God never fails, then our hope is secure. That we are able to look back on the history of life and see not just the trials and the difficulties and the hardships, we can look beneath them and see God's faithfulness. And we can even look in the present with the eyes of faith and see, God, you are at work. And certainly as we look to the future, we know that wherever we're going, even though it seems like we're going in the wrong direction, that God will bring us to the point where we experience not just the blessing of God in this life, but the perfect blessing in the life to come. Because we have a hope in one who has conquered death itself. And because of our, our hope is not rooted in us. It's not on our shoulders. It's rooted in the sovereign hand of God and his son Jesus who came out of love for us. So my hope this morning, I think what the text intends for us is that we would go from this place and if we know God, that we would be encouraged that even though there may be a time of inactivity, seeming inactivity, God is at work. And if we're here this morning and we don't know the Lord, that God is speaking to you as well and, and wanting for you to find your hope in him, that you would not that you would not have to work on it on your own, that you would not have to have to carry all of that on your own shoulders, but that God wants for you to have faith in his son Jesus and have a hope that endures forever. And just like his people entered the promised land, it's a picture of one day entering into the presence of God and having all of the, the longings of our heart fulfilled by a God who loves us and is in sovereign control. So God does have a plan. God is always in control and God never fails. Praise God. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you indeed for the psalm. Thank you that uh, it speaks so clearly to us about the, the challenges of living life in this world. God, a world that is fraught with, with challenges and difficulties and, and things, Lord, that, that we struggle to overcome. And, and yet, God, it's very clear that, that you love us, that you have a good plan for us. And Lord, I pray especially for those of us in this room that, that just, it's been so difficult to believe that for the last few weeks or few months, that there are things that are bringing us to our knees regularly and God, that we don't see a way forward. Would you give us the faith to, to believe that you are at work? Would, would you help us, Lord, to cast our mind back on our own lives and to see how it is that you have worked, how you have blessed us, how you have orchestrated things for our good and, and to believe that the same will be true for the future. And Lord, would you hope, help us as a people uh, to, to know you more, to give you greater glory. And Lord, would you use us to be a blessing and a help to those around us. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.